Hello, everyone. Once again, thank you for tuning in to us, your sisters, Megan and Dana, as we catch up with one another thousands of miles apart, but close together in our scary little hearts. So without further ado, welcome to Scary Stories to Tell Your Sister. How's it going? It's going pretty great. How about you? Great. I mean, you know, by the time we're recording this right now, we've officially launched the podcast. How does that feel for you? It's fun, scary, exciting, like so many different things. I, But I'm happy most of all. Yeah. I mean, same. For me, it feels like so strange and still very nerve wracking. Like I'm trying to remember that there are so many places to keep up with things. Because let me tell you, you, Megan, and you, the listeners, we have a Twitter, um, and I'm the worst at keeping up with it, like, at all, but hopefully, like, with everything with the podcast, we'll get the hang of it and be able to have fun, chatty, creepy times with you and everyone else. Um, And I mean, like, it's a blast, because I feel like these are kind of, like, safe scares, does that make sense? Yeah. Except for, like... When I'm researching alone at night with a dog that barks at his own shadow, like literally <laughs> last night, that's what was happening when I was finishing up this week's topic. I was just me in the house alone. And I was like, you know, I'm, I put on Scream, the TV show. Um, mm-hmm. It's on Netflix. And it's like I had seen the first season before or part of the first season, not all of it. So for me, it felt like a little like campy, scary background show, but it got to me oh <laughs> in the background and researching researching my topic I was like I'm home alone and then Farrah started barking at nothing and I said no <laughs> that is unacceptable I'm one not okay with that two you don't need to go outside to go to the bathroom so please stop I know um, it's it's so funny that once they start once you're researching something and then your animals react to something, you're like, what, what do you see? Do you see something? Right. You see something I don't see? Is something you know that I don't know. Right. And I feel like for both of us this week might've been the most fun and stressful. Absolutely. Because with recording and starting things and researching, there was a lot, I feel, because I mean, the only thing I know about your topic this week is that both you and Abby said it was really scary. (laughs) And mine was, like, extremely nostalgic, except when I had to walk the aforementioned dog at night alone by a creepy railroad track. But now, it's a new day, and if need be, I can take a nap in the daylight when there are less things that go bump. But I am ready, Megan, for your story because... I have been trying to get it out of Abby or even you (laughs) because I'm just so excited. So are you ready to take it away? I am. It was so funny because last night when we were talking, I was saying how when I was researching this, you didn't know what I was researching. And I'm like, I wasn't sure like how deep to go. Yeah. 
And you were like, oh, just go. Just go dark. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And Abby in the background is like, no, Dana. For her topic, hers can get really dark. Right. So, and I said, so go go gray. Yeah. <laughs> so go gray. So hopefully I did go gray just because of my own yeah. sanity. I did not want to go too dark. So, But I wanted to up the ante and try and scare you, Dana. So I picked for this week, possessions. So stories of possessions have been relayed for centuries. What is a possession? (laughs) Well, possessions don't just happen in an instant. It takes place gradually. It it occurs actually in four degrees. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of those. I wasn't scared researching this until I got to the different degrees. I think because it kind of made me realize how calculated a possession actually is. So for the first degree, it's infestation. These are things that happen in and around the home. Not to the person themselves. This can be bad smells, the sound of knocking, voices, or even things in the home moving without any prompting from anyone. Okay, so that would be a possession? That is the first degree. Okay. So so it's like, it's like like when you say it's so it's slowly leading up to it. And infestation makes me think of bugs crawling all over my skin, so I don't know if that's the first degree. How much better we're going to get. So. Yeah, <laughs> it makes me think of bugs too. And I guess It is kind of like that. You're like, ooh, is that a bug? Ooh, what's that? Ooh, what's this? You know? So the second degree is oppression. This is when it becomes more physical, including illnesses that occur often, trouble sleeping due to constant nightmares, anxiety, depression, and also affecting your relationships and jobs. Obviously, anyone can experience any of these things, but they mean all of these things happening back to back. Okay. The third degree is obsession. Mm. At this point, the person affected is not able to live their normal life. The entity has encompassed every aspect of the person's life, including their thoughts. And the fourth and final degree is possession. In the final stage, the demonic spirit has broken down the person so much They are able to, at times, take control of the person's actions. This may include using the victim to speak in other languages unknown to them, having abnormal amounts of strength, knowing information the victim has no knowledge of, and also the dislike and discomfort around holy objects. That is is so strange because, like, I know, I mean... (laughs) I know I'm coming from the most outside perspective of this because it wasn't until last weekend when I was also home alone that we watched together apart The Conjuring. And I think like besides that, there was probably Unsolved Mysteries or some like religious aspects of hearing of possessions. But hearing you describe it in the degree aspect makes me feel almost like it's like an acid 
if it makes any sense, I'm trying to think of like a or like a burn, like there's degrees of burns and how it like, yeah mm-hmm. slowly gets like you get a minor burn, like a first degree, a second degree, and the fourth degree. So it's almost like the entity or whatever is slowly wearing away, like warming its ugh, warming its way yeah. It's very very calculated. Yeah, I don't like that. Right, I don't either. So now that we've gone over the different stages, it'll help us understand the stories that I'm going to tell a little bit better. The topic of possession became really popular in the 70s after the 73 release of the movie. The Exorcist. Good job, Dana. Thank you. (laughs) In case you haven't yet watched this movie. I haven't read that book or seen that movie. Okay. Then, yeah, for yeah, for those that haven't seen it or read it, it's a terrifying film about a priest who helps a young demon-possessed girl. And it is intense. The movie actually ignited a return to church with the Catholic churches reporting an influx of confessions after the movie's release. It literally scared people into confessing their sins, which I can... <laughs> I can totally relate to. I would just like to say I wouldn't have I would have been the best Catholic girl there could be because I had such bad OCD when I was a teen and would confess any and everything I did wrong to mom. Hail Marys would have been like my mantra and priests would have been sick of me because I'm sure I would have been to that going to them and, you know, have just been like, hello, father, it's me again. It's been 15 minutes since my last confession i can just imagine it you know oh yeah like, like, I, I don't know if i confessed properly to you or like i thought maybe i wouldn't tell you everything the right out, and i feel like is that bad me withholding that thought even though i did tell you right yeah. right yeah. so here a little I, bit more detail yeah yeah no but thankfully i was able to work on my ocd with therapy so no if you suffer from ocd it can definitely be managed without converting to catholicism okay <laughs> So back to the story. The movie was so scary, they had paramedics on standby outside because of the amount of fainting and other fear-inducing illnesses that took place while watching the film. But what would you say if I told you this movie came about because of the real-life exorcism of a young boy known for years as Ronald Doe? Okay. I think I had heard something before that it wasn't a girl and I know like like I said when I hadn't seen the movie or read the book I've heard about like the curse of the movie type thing and I was like the mm-hmm. soup type thing and I think I vaguely remember it being a boy not a girl but I am very <laughs> right for years um it was just he was just known as Ronald Doe his yeah. real identity was not revealed until 2021 okay i didn't know okay that's when his real name came to light and it only came out after his death at almost 86 years old whoa yep and this is the story of ronald edwin hunkler hunkler okay i'm unwedding i'm unwedding i'm not ready but i'm here we go (laughs) (laughs) ronald was born june 1st 1935 in cottage city maryland Ronald was really close to his mother and father, and by all accounts, they seemed to be a very happy family, although the mother was said to be a bit strict and a bit superstitious. I thought you said it was known to be a bitch. A bitch. She was a bitch. No, I don't know. (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't know anything about her. I only heard nice things. Sorry, sorry, Hinkley, Hunkley, 
mother. Hunkler. Hunkler. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but I think it's Hunkler. Okay. Now, it should be noted that Ronald's paternal aunt, Matilda, nicknamed Tilly, which I think is such a cute nickname. Me too. She was really close with the family. She was a spiritualist and taught Ronald how to use the Ouija board to communicate with those who have passed. Never mind, Tilly. (laughs) But even with the aunt's use of the board, the strange happenings in the home didn't actually start occurring until Ronald was about 14 years old. And the first sign of something being amiss happened on the 15th of January. It was something very simple. The sound of dripping water. Hmm. It lasted approximately one week, but there were no leaks found in the house. That would have driven you mad. Yeah. Or you'd have been done. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Especially, like, the, the sound alone would have bothered me, yes, but... Also, not being able to figure out where it was coming from would drive somebody, me, completely mad. Remember when we shared a room or brief time when we were like, I was 16, you were like 19, I think, like that. We shared a room. Yeah, I'll never forget it. (laughs) I wanted to watch soap operas at night because I was in school during the day. And so I would go up to the TV, throw a thick blanket over it. Watch with subtitles on when it was on mute and you would still complain that you could hear the electricity. I could hear the electricity. (laughs) I still can. I can still hear something from like across the other side of the house. I can tell. That's why I laughed. I knew the water would have driven you (laughs) up the wall. Yeah. I have very sensitive hearing, guys. (laughs) So... So on the 26th, Richard found out his beloved aunt Tilly had passed. This was a huge loss for him because they were really close. And not long after her death, within a few days, actually, they noticed more sounds coming from the home. These sounds included taps and knocks. So logically, their first suspicion was that they had mice. So they hired an exterminator. The exterminator did a thorough investigation of the home, but found no evidence of there being any little creatures. Now, I didn't actually research the taps and knocks specifically, but I'm wondering if they were in, like, threes. Have you ever heard? Oh, yeah. That, like, it's they're trying to, like, mock the Trinity or something. Okay. I, I didn't know that aspect. Yeah. So usually, like, if they hear, like, knocks and they're in threes, they're like, oh, no, something's, you know, not good here. So I'm wondering if it were, if it was just regular old taps in the wall or if it was actually, like, in threes. Yeah. I don't know. But after finding nothing and still hearing the sounds, his mother thought maybe these noises were coming from something a little less tangible. (laughs) She thought... Maybe it was Aunt Tilly trying to communicate with her family from the other side. The next unusual thing to happen in the Hunkler home was when a religious photo that hung on the wall began to shake. Mm. Nobody was near the painting, and Ronald was sleeping at the time. As if these happenings weren't scary enough, Ronald then began to experience his bed shaking. No. No. Can you imagine that? No, I just imagine it being like as soon as you're like on the cusp of sleep 
and then your bed just starts shaking. Um, kind of like at the time when you're like falling, you know how sometimes you have those dreams where you're like <laughs> on the verge of sleep and then you fall. Fall cliff. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Yes. I hate that. You like jolt awake. I hate that. But, but imagine, but you wouldn't be able to go to bed at all. No, no. So after that, a relic of St. Margaret Mary was pinned to his pillow or it was pinned to his pillow, Like it was just there. But that relic was thrown to the floor while nobody was near it. And I kept looking to find out what the relic was, but I just kept coming across the term second class relic. So I had to look that up, what second class relic actually meant. Mm-hmm. And the Catholic Herald explains that there are three classes of relics. The first would be part of the actual saint aka body parts like a bone, like a bone okay, or, cool beans. yeah or even more disturbing to me and not so comforting a vial of blood no thank you and a second class relic is something a saint used in their lifetime like an article of clothing okay. or their or like their rosary yeah a third is something that has touched a first or second and hopefully it did not touch the blood. <laughs> you just imagine. <laughs> Here is a relic. It's a little bloody cloth. Ew. For you. Ew. Thank you. So I didn't figure out what the relic actually was. But the weird thing about it was that the pin attached to it was opened, even though it was untouched. So something had to unclasp it and then throw it across the room. Because weird incidents kept occurring around Ronald. They took him to the doctor to get checked on. And they also took him to a psychiatrist. Neither could find anything wrong with him. Then on February the 26th, they noticed scratches and marks on his body. Eventually, the boy had the wor- had words carved into his body in response to questions people would ask. So then they decided to contact Aunt Tilly via the Ouija board. Oh, no. And here we go again. At this point, I'm wondering why they still think it might be Aunt Tilly. Like, if she was so nice to him, why would she be carving things into his body? Right? You know what I mean? I Hi, Titi. No, thank you. I know this isn't you. What you'd be doing is straightening my <laughs> straightening my bed. Or <laughs> fixing my collar. Right? I, I know. It wouldn't be like, oh, look, it's Daddy saying hello again. Quick, Dan, get the board. Let's commune. Like, it's just oh, not like that. Daddy's carving a, a letter into my, into my, <laughs> into my sleeping my body. Right. No. Say it hi. It says hi. <laughs> no. Like, bye. Yeah. So they tried that, and surprisingly, Aunt Tilly did not reply. Mm. And the marks continued showing up on his body. Finally, they decided to talk to their Lutheran minister. He, too, was unable to help them, though. But he encouraged them to find a Catholic priest, because they would most likely be the ones to help solve what was behind these mysterious afflictions that plagued the poor boy and that's exactly what they did father bowden was accompanied by father raymond bishop 
and they arrived at Ronald's family home to assess the situation. After spending some time with him, it was clear to the priests Ronald needed an exorcism. And they were granted permission to do so under the condition that he that they gave a day-by-day account as to what was happening. So they did just that, and they kept a journal logging everything going on during the exorcism. And just wait till you find out how long it actually was. Another question. Yeah. And I don't know if this is something I've picked up from the passage of time or it's just something from the movie we watched. What's it called? The Conjuring. But aren't like exorcisms not just given out like willy nilly? No, that's actually, it's so funny that you say that because literally I was just going to tell you a little side note that a priest said in the documentary that I watched, he said, (laughs) you can see thousands and thousands of people claiming to be possessed. And it only comes out that just one of them is actually the real deal. So thousands and thousands, just one is actually the real deal. And they go through extensive kind of like tests to see if this is the real deal. So they did that with this boy and they're like, yeah, he definitely needs to be exercised. Okay. So the priests arrive at Ronald's home. They perform the exorcism at his home for six days (gasps) and then transferred him to a hospital to continue there with more help. Father Walter Halloran was one of the ones that helped them more specifically there to help restrain him. Mm. He too witnessed some of the craziness that was going on when he saw a glass bottle of holy water next to the boy fly across the room, crashing against the wall and breaking. Father Halloran, when interviewed, said he never believed he was faking these actions. During his many exorcisms... He would lash out violently, curse at everyone, as well as say out loud certain Latin phrases. The kid was exercised, I, I want to assume off and on, for something like 27 days. That's like the whole month of February. I know. And when I was watching this, when they were talking about how at when this fir- when all of this first started... I think even they showed like a little part where the boy was at school and like his desk was shaking and somebody had made mention that, oh, maybe he was just trying to get attention to like be kicked out of school. Like he didn't want to go to school anymore. And I'm thinking, wow, 27 days is a lot of days to be out of school. But also I don't think he wanted to be spending them in a hospital being like constrained. And you're not, you're not watching your soap operas. You're being tied down and chanted Latin at. Yeah, that does not sound like fun. I'd rather go to school. Yeah, that's saying something for you. Yeah. (laughs) While in the hospital and towards the end of his stay, he was baptized. And after, he was given communion for the first time. When this happened, a loud explosive sound erupted in the entire hospital. (laughs) All of the lights went out and nobody could figure out the source of the blast. Even though it was so loud, it could be heard across the street at the church. Still, nothing could be found as to where the source of the blast came from. Whoa. After it happened, the lights came right back on. Ronald sat up 
looked at Father Bowden and said, he's gone. (laughs) Ronald was finally able to go home with no other incident to ever happen again. His exorcism took place in 1949. As an adult, he kept his story under wraps, especially because he had a job working for NASA as an engineer. He even patented heat-resistant panels for space shuttles. Holy crap! Yeah. Ronald's companion said he wanted nothing to do with religion as an adult and told her the whole thing was concocted. He said, quote, I was just a bad boy. And there is one last creepy thing in his story. It happened on his deathbed when one day there was a knock on his front door. His partner was surprised to see a Catholic priest. He came specifically to perform Ronald's last rites. How he found out and who invited him, nobody knows. His companion went on to say, I have no idea how the father knew to come, but he got Ron to heaven and Ron is in heaven now. He's with God now. Whoa. So strange. Especially because like he was anonymous the entire time. So no one wasn't like the Catholic priest. I mean, right. Maybe his like name was in a database of like people who were like exercised and whatnot. But still, it's like the fact that he came when he was like on his deathbed and was like, I'm here to give his last rites. <laughs> like, I'm like, how who are you? Tina, I love that you said like he's probably in a database of like who's been exercised. <laughs> like you I know, know they have a list of people. <laughs> I'm sure they do, and I would love to see it. Like what? I'd love not to see it. So I just would like to see how many people have been. That is if, true. Yeah. If there haven't been that many, how many is not that many? I just want to know. But that's just my curiosity getting the better of me, as usual. As usual. But that's not it, Dane. I have one last story to tell okay, you. Hey, for me. <laughs> just actually, just for you. Okay. The next story involves another father but not that of the Catholic persuasion. In fact, it's our very own father's story. (laughs) What? I don't know if you've heard this one. I don't think I have. But here goes. Oh, God. Okay. Many years ago, before either of us were born, Dad was living in New Jersey. He was an elder in a local congregation, And for those unsure of what that means, an elder is basically a man in the congregation who helps oversee the happenings of everyone in the hall, a.k.a. church. They're the ones that the people go to when they're having problems spiritually and otherwise. And during a service, it's common for people to take notes on the talk being given. So you'll usually see people with their pads and pens out scribbling away and that's exactly what was happening this evening dad is standing in the back during a meeting meetings are what they call church services and noticed one of the women in the congregation doing just that taking notes but when he looks closer he realizes she is manically writing the words she's scribbling are not english words 
and nothing familiar. I think they were more like symbols, similar similar to shorthand, what mom uses, but like, yeah, but like the possessed version. Cool, cool, because you know possessed shorthand. Yeah, and then as if knowing someone was on to her. Absolutely not. No, Megan Ashley. She jumps onto the person sitting in front of her. (laughs) It doesn't take long for a few of the men in the congregation to leap into action, trying to restrain her while moving her to the room in the back. Once in the room, they sat her down. Dad said she looked very different in the face. Like he said, her eyes looked different. She just looked different. And her voice had changed as well. He regretted this later. And I think this is where <gasps> I get... ask, who are you? Yeah, I think this is where I get my... Your nosiness? My do first, confess later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he started to talk to her. Or talk to whatever was possessing her. And asking questions. He asked the name of the demon and was given some weird, not normal, non-human sounding name. You would have thought dad would have just like kind of stopped talking to it right then and there. No. Being the hard-headed, wise-ass, big Italian, tough guy from up north. He (laughs) says, you know your time is almost up here and you're going to die soon. Ah! And this pissed off the demon. The woman who was average size then throws our uncle who is very tall and strong straight across the room like if it's either one of them they're over six feet tall yeah straight across the room he hit a wall so the next step was to get her out of there and bring her back home and she was living with her brother at the time And dad was aware of this. And he was also aware that the brother was into some pretty dark stuff. What exactly? I don't know. But I'm assuming it was some sort of like dark magic type of thing. Yeah. And so they brought her home. Well, the drive there was also quite eventful. In fact, she, again, an average sized woman, pushed the seat in front of her so hard she was able to actually bend the metal. They finally arrived to her brother's home, and I want to say they called him ahead of time to let him know what was going on, because I think he was aware, so he was prepared when they opened the door. Okay. The brother opens the door. Dad and whoever else is there with her stood there and watched as her brother looked right at her and gently blew across her face. And in the next moment, she was out of whatever trance state she was in, and it was over. (laughs) Absolutely not. Yeah. So that's it. Dana, did I freak the hell out of you this week? I hope I did. did. I I think I had vaguely remembered that dad story, Mm -hmm. but not in the detail in which you told me. But that was really good. I hate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> and of uh, course, I did like all of my research late at night. Yeah. When, when I was done, I literally was like, I feel like I need a shower. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't feel clean <laughs> after this. Yeah. So what do you think of possessions? Do you think that they're like, yeah, no, really I, the act of, do you think it's like a demon taking over the individual? Do you think? Yeah. 
so for me, I've, I um, don't often side with the Catholic Church on a lot of things. <laughs> In fact, we don't see eye to eye on many. But I do believe that a lot of them are not actually possessions. A lot of like, the older ones that were like assumed to be possessions, like in the same vein as like witch stuff, where like the the witch hunts in the back of the day, a lot of the times were like mental illnesses or right. or physical ailments like epilepsy or schizophrenia or other things like that. Absolutely, that diagnosed and untreated and then made worse by the quote unquote acts of exorcisms, like their body was pushed to like breaking points. However, I do believe that there are actual cases of it that take place and that they are probably demonic entities because especially when you have the ones where they're speaking in different languages or yeah. or or having that strength. Like obviously I know there are cases where like of like mothers having an adrenaline push and like lifting cars off their children or like people with certain ailments or genetic differences that allow their body to push. Because, like, our bodies, physically, like, biologically, we are not meant to push past a certain threshold. Like, something in our body says, stop pushing, you're going to, like, rip your arms off, whatever. Yeah. Um, but some people don't have that. So, they, they have to, like, be careful. Like, they don't feel pain or, or like, like, in that aspect. So, I know there can be some things that can be attributed to that. But I do believe it's real, and I do believe there are demonic things, and I do not mess with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I believe that there is something out there. Oh, yeah. and But I do believe, like, similar to you, that a lot of times, especially in the past, there were a lot more mental illnesses that were mistaken for that. Mm -hmm. And I feel bad for those people that had to go through that trauma. Yeah. But then when you have things and when they, when they don't react well to holy objects. Yeah. um, When like holy water burns them. Right. They levitate something or they throw something or the bed shakes or something lifts. Or they, I've heard cases where, the person possessed knows something about the priest. Exactly. And I say, oh, hell no. No, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And like with Ronald too, I'm wondering if he, if it was true, if the reason he said, you know, it's all concocted, I was a bad boy, if that was because he didn't want people to look at him solely for that. Like he was very accomplished in his adult life. And did not want to be associated with anything that happened in the past. Especially because with the field of NASA, it's very scientific, very, very logical, very analytical. And I feel like this aspect of it, especially because he was young, so he was he had that anonymity of it. Right. So he allowed it to be that way. And especially, I mean, honestly, me too. There has to be like a trauma, PTSD attached to it and maybe it's almost like a fight or flight thing that like your body is mentally blocking it out yeah no it wasn't as severe as things like that but they have records of it yeah and I'm just wondering too if he was faking it 
27 days is a long time. A long time. That is a really and long time to fake something and then be like, you know what? How old was he again? 14. Okay. And I, I mean, obviously he's a smart man. He worked for NASA. He did things like that. I, you know, you have to be a certain level of genius, smart to do that. But I don't know any 14 year old that can make an explosion happen. Yeah. Without any signs of it. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe at that point he was like, oh, God, let this be over. This is my way out. Right. Like, oh, that wasn't me, but he's gone. <laughs> uh, I'll say that. That makes my heart happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dana, I'm hoping that you have a happy story this week, but this podcast isn't called Happy you Stories know, to Tell Your Stupid Sister. Happy st- <laughs> <laughs> so what do you got for me? So I know a lot of the times you have me guess what your topic is. I yeah. love it. And I normally just kind of roll mine out, like a little description, and then I tell you my topic. Mm-hmm. But this time I'm going to start talking and tell you the events because, well, you'll see. Okay. So we open up. The scene is a graveyard. It's November 12th, 1966. And there are five men in this graveyard. They are grave diggers. There's Kenneth Duck. They are digging a grave. There's Kenneth Duncan, Bob Lovejoy, Bill Poole. Andrew Godby and Emil Gibson. They were working to repair the grounds for a funeral for one of Kenneth's in-laws the next day. And I actually looked it up and that night was a new moon. So there wasn't very much light in the area. So they were working with a low light when all of a sudden Kenneth looks up towards the trees and he sees something moving. He sees this figure moving from tree to tree in rapid succession until it suddenly takes off, flying into the sky of West Virginia. <gasps> this was no bird. This was no bat. I knew what it was. This was no plane. This was a brown humanoid figure with Pick me. Pick me. Megan? The Mothman? That's right, my sister and friends. Today we are talking about the one and only cryptid of West Virginia and possible prophetic creature, the Mothman. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So, only three days later, in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, the most famed series of sightings began in an area known as the TNT area. Now we're going to take a little side note to delve into the history of this area and why it can be more important to the origin of the creature. So this section of land was known to locals in the day as a TNT area because it was the former West Virginia Ordnance Works. It's about seven miles up north of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Now it's known as the McClintic Wildlife Management with a couple of thousand acres of land. But back in 1942, a large section of it was used to manufacture and store ammunition for World War II. Mm. Had more than a hundred concrete bunkers or igloos around the area. They were meant to be unseen, so they blended in with the area. So they would would go unseen for people and prey alike. So there was even a location that many locals assumed housed the creature known as the birdhouse. And while the majority of the sightings took place around this area in the sixties. It wasn't until much later in the 80s when it came to light that so much of the materials they had used to make this ammunition was dumped into the ground and water in the area 
around the plant that it seeped into the ground and polluted the groundwater, making it one of the most polluted places in the country. Oh, my God. It was declared an environmental disaster back in the day. But in the time of between the war efforts and pollution pond and refuge, it was a place where some locals would go and, quote, unquote, park on dates for seclusion. Ooh. Ooh. Scandalous. So now that you have all the information on that area, we're going to go back to the 60s. So at this time, it is abandoned. Like, it's shut down. So it was a big place in the 40s. They stopped using it. And the 60s is kind of secluded and shut down. So November 15th, 1966, two young couples, Linda and Roger Scarberry and Mary and Steve Mallet, were out for a joyride in a black Chevy in the remote TNT area, which, like I said, wasn't completely abnormal because, let's be real, we've all done late night drives with our significant others or friends. I mean, one of my favorite memories with you is driving to the beach in the middle of the night to look at the meteor showers on a whim. That was so great. So these co- this, this, these couples were driving around and they pass the North PowerPoint. And in front of the car's headlight, they see two red eyes reflecting back at them. Also, I mean, side note, I hate how I keep choosing these stories with red eyes. Like, some <laughs> I must know that I'm being a little masochistic. Pulls like, you back yeah, in. Right? And the glowing red eyes and you with the Ouija board again. Yeah, it. you're right. This time, they described it as a gray human-like creature with a large wingspan and the wings tucked into its back with a towering frame of over six feet tall. Yikes. Linda Scarberry was quoted saying, the creature looked like a human with wings and it had circular, circular fiery red eyes that you could see the muscles in its legs. That it was half man, half monster. And one thing that gives me a minute peace of mind is that apparently it wasn't super steady on its legs. And it didn't run, but it wobbled. <laughs> Which, I mean, maybe isn't the peace of mind I want. Because one time I was driving home from a dinner party with Abby. And I saw someone come <laughs> in the woods by the off-ramp. And I screamed from the bottom of my toes. <laughs> And when I described it to Abby, I said it was someone waddling menacingly. <laughs> and she judged me then and continues to judge me towards this day. But it was terrifying. Okay, I have got to see, the next time I see you, a menacing wobble. You got, you got to see it at night when you're driving, when you're unprepared, like this couple. <laughs> and like me, they did not want to linger and quickly took the car <laughs> Onto Route 62 and began to leave. All three and clear. Wrong. <laughs> Linda is screaming at Roger to hurry. And he is putting the proverbial pedal to the metal. But they still see the creature following behind in the air. He's near the hill until they turn the corner and watch it spread its wings and shoot straight into the air. Linda was quoted as saying, we didn't know what it was. I don't think I've ever been so scared. She said the creature was gliding back and forth (gasps) over the back of the car. Now, like I said, pedal to the metal. They said they were going near 100 miles per hour. Oh, my God. But the creature stayed on their tail with his wings grazing and bumping the car. (gasps) Oh! 
court said he left scratch marks behind. That's crazy. That means that it knows that, like, it's definitely the predator. Yeah, it's it's playing with them. Right. And annoy and Linda described. I think Linda or Mary described the noise as almost like a squeaking mouse, which sounds once again funny at first. But then, I, and I thought it would make it funnier if it was the case. But then, as I was editing this last night at one a.m., I thought about seeing something like that and hearing it, like seeing something. And I thought, no, it wouldn't be more funny. It would be worse yeah so this carried on until they reached the edge of town and the creature took off sharply into a field so they they take the car to one of the local stores parking lot and the ladies want to go straight to the police the men think no the cops will just laugh at us we you know we need to think about this so they agree that they have to go back and make sure they even thought they even saw what they thought they saw not whatever, not what I would do, but you know, you do. <laughs> so, unfortunately, they're driving back and they see a dead dog on the road when they're passing by. Oh, and they drive back and then they kind of turn back around. And when they're the same area where the dog was, the dog is gone and the creature swoops by from ru- one side of the road into a field on the other side. So they say, nope, enough is enough. And they went to the police department and they told Deputy Millard Halstead what they saw. They said a flying man with 10-foot wings and glowing eyes that followed their car. Now, like the men thought, the cop thought the cop was a little apprehensive at first to believe what they said. But the cop also knew all of them and he was certain that it wasn't just some strange group prank. The deputy says, let's go back. <gasps> the deputy and the couple drive back out to the TNT site that night. And the deputy is shining his light all around. And while he said he didn't see anything, he did say that his radio was having some weird staticky noise disturbances the entire time. Ooh. And the couple, meanwhile, were smart. And they stayed in the car. And they said they saw shadows circling above head scary yeah and so they also were people after my heart because after it was all over with and the cop went home they stayed up all night in one of their trailers with all the lights on oh my god sleep that night the next day there was press conference about it and the news article started to come out and the name mothman was coined because batman was a tv show at the time like it was popular so someone coined the term Mothman. Interesting. The same day, the couples who originally saw it went back to the TNT area in the daytime and found odd-looking tracks resembling two horseshoes put together but smooth. Steve said he saw something fly up into a boiler when the door was kicked when a door was kicked open, but no one stayed around long enough to see what it was. Which I'm like, smart move. Yeah. And as I will go into later, there was a book written about this. It's called The Mothman Prophecies. And in it, the author wrote that, quote, Roger and Linda Scarberry 
were living in a house trailer at the time of their Mothman sighting. In the week that followed, they were suddenly plagued by strange sounds around the trailer at night. Beeps and loud garbled noises like speeded up phonograph record. They could not locate the source of the sound outside or inside the trailer. The couple later settled into a basement apartment in the home of Linda's parents. So in 2020, no, I'm sorry, in 2002, Linda did an interview for the book Mothman, The Facts Behind the Legend. And in the interview, she said that she saw the Mothman again. That she saw it again? And Yeah, on the roof, on her roof in December of 66. And she said, we saw it again about a month after we first saw it when we lived on 13th Street. The roof slanted down at an angle from the upstairs bedroom window. I looked out the window. It was sitting down. Its wings were folded around itself like it was trying to keep warm. But it had its head turned sideways looking in through the window. As if it was curious. By then I figured out it didn't want to hurt me. I just tell by the way it looked at me. I was very curious. And I wanted to try to communicate with it. But I didn't know what it was or where it came from. And I was a little scared of it still. It looked so lonely. Aww. Um, but not scared anymore. It looked cold, too. It was really cold that night. So, that one I kind of reminded me of something you would do, I feel like. Yeah, it sad. Looks, and I'm like, it's a moth, man, Megan. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. But over the next 13 months, there were more unreported. There was a lot more sightings. A lot of them kind of were like unreported. Like, officially, but some are guessing around 100 more. Wow. Now, the one with the, those couples, that's kind of the, like, original and, like, most popular story. But there are also a few other ones. Marcella Bonet, or Bonnet, apparently saw it on the 16th of November when she was leaving her brother's house with her young child. Her brother lived in a bungalow amongst the igloos in the TNT area. So right in that area where it was. Mm-hmm. Said she was holding her little girl. And when she approached the car, she noticed legs. And looked up and saw something she had never seen before. She said, and I quote. It rose up slowly from the ground. A big gray thing. Bigger than a man with terrible glowing red eyes. So she screamed, dropped her baby, (gasps) fell to the ground in shock. So this this incident is famous because she literally fell on on her baby as well. Oh, my God. That poor woman, that poor baby. She said it had terrible glowing red eyes. And she said it spread its huge wings And some of the other guests came out and grabbed her and the baby. And they ran back in the house to call the police. And the creature seemed to have, quote unquote, shuffled behind the group. Coming onto the porch and peering in at them through the window. Oh, my God. Like, hey, what's going on in there? Hi, can I, can I too come inside? Right. Unknown bird-like creature vanished by the time the police arrived. She was so traumatized by this that she eventually had to seek out medical attention. Aww. Why she shared about it is because she wanted to warn others and let it be known. She's like, hi, 
I'm going to tell you what happened. Like, I don't want to, like, why well, be like, hi, I dropped my baby and I was so scared. Oh, that's so oh. sad. That poor woman. But she, she has gone on to be fine. She has since passed away, but at an old, at a ripe old age. Okay. <laughs> Tom Yuri is another individual who happened to see the Mothman. He's the only person I could find who's like reported to see see the creature in the light of day. Mm. So he thought it was a helicopter oh. at first. Wow. Wait, I wanted to go back to the woman. Mm-hmm. Forgot her name. She saw it at night. Yeah. Oh no! So all of these so far have happened at night. The couple happened at night. The woman with her baby, she was leaving her, like, I guess after, like, dinner or a get-together at night, she was leaving with her baby at night, and she saw Oh, it. no, no, no. And, and at night, looking, looking in the window? No, no. No, thank you. Me, minus red eyes, another one of my fears is seeing a face in the window, so. Oh. <laughs> um, just Tom Yuri saw it in the daylight. And like I said, he thought it was a helicopter at first, but then he saw a bird-like creature began circling his car in loops, slowly getting lower and lower and lower towards his car. And until he got close to get to town again, and then it took off towards the river again. Mm. So a lot of these, it feels like when the person gets close to town, it's like, nope, we're good. But it follows them. Like, it's like, like I remember I watched an Unsolved Mysteries with him in it, and he said it was almost like he was tracking the car in an interested manner. Hmm. And so even though the four people, the couples who saw it in the TNT plant are known as the first sighting, we know the cemetery group saw it prior to that. And there was later a report of someone seeing it even earlier. So this is the experience of Shirley Hensley and her family's with the creature from 1961 until 1964. Now Shirley and her family lived a very rural lifestyle. Like she described it. They had an outhouse, a well, no glass in the windows, just plastic covering. So that's kind of like what what we're working with here. Yikes. Um, So it got to the point, like they had a well on the site and this creature started, she even said, if the creature wanted to, it could have easily gotten through these plastic windows coverings, you know? Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where they knew that if they needed to get water from the well, they needed to get it before darkness fell. Because of that, because of the Mothman? Mm-hmm, because that's when the creature would be most rampant. <gasps> Wait, and I, where well, did they live? Where did they in live? West Virginia as well. But did they live close to the mines? Oh, the TNT thing? I um, mean, yeah. Let me see. I don't have it up here. I'll okay. look it up later. And like, okay. I'll put it into the notes, maybe. So she said, quote, we all took turns getting the water from the well. And we had a rule that we had to get the water before dark. That was when the thing always came around. We never saw it in daylight, so everyone knew they had to bring the water in before dark. If you didn't do it, then it didn't get done. It would come around one or two nights for about three weeks, and then it would go away. This went on for about three years. At first, my parents had other things on their mind other than the stuff they called foolishness. The first time I ever heard it was near an old flatbed truck in the road in front of our house. I had a boyfriend who would visit me at that time, and we would sit in the cab and talk. We heard something bump against the truck from underneath <gasps> and a loud scream. We jumped out of the truck and ran to the house. So she said a few days later, her mom and her some of her siblings are at the well, 
and then behind the well are some like large foliage and when her mom put the well the, the bucket into the well water there was another scream coming from the area of the bushes and the mother said everyone into the house and they all rammed the house because that was the first time her mom heard it oh and then she said because of that she said her, her father told them they had to be home by dark and so Shirley says so she was always home by six she walked. She said, I just walked up our driveway, opened the front door, and my mother she, ran to the room. Wait, wait, She just pulled into the driveway? Yeah, she was walking up the driveway. Oh, okay. At 6 p.m. Her mother said, get in the house. They had heard it again. <gasps> so then my family had gone out to the other two sisters who were outside playing. Dad said he heard it scream. And after pushing my two sisters into the house, he hunkered down at the door. And he said that he could hear it scrambling on their neighbor's coal pile oh and so he said he called out to the one of the neighbors i guess they were close by and he said give me a gun and they gave him a 20 a 22 rifle but he got a good shot at it he pulled the shot i'm sorry he pulled the gun up to shoot and as he watched he could see two large red eyes coming up over the pile he shot at it and let it a loud scream and started running up towards the hill. He described the eyes almost like red bicycle reflectors. Interesting. I see. I've been curious this whole time when everybody says glowing red eyes, glowing red eyes. I just cannot picture like what that looks like. But now that he said like bicycle lights, I picture almost like, you know, fly eyes. Yes. They're kind of, yeah. I picture that, but like the reflect, like especially because the first couple saw it in the headlight, so the eyes f- w- reflected off of that. Yeah. So I feel like it's almost like that. Yeah. And her sister Mary witnessed the whole thing and said it was a big, tall, black, shiny thing with big red eyes. Her dad said it was at least seven feet tall, and it had long arms that went down past its knees. And then when it ran, he's also a second thing. It ran awkwardly, and its arms stayed by its side. Okay, question. Yeah. Did it have arms and wings? I don't know exactly. Are they referring – because maybe they're referring to the Maybe the arms are the wings tucked in, maybe. Yeah. That could be it. It's a good point. And she said that, no, people were like, it's a panther. It's an owl. And he said, no. Because apparently a panther either screams like a woman or sounds like a baby crying. And he said the sound was neither of those. And so no one really believed them. They didn't really tell anyone until she kind of heard about the other things happening in 66. So her things happened from 61 to 64, those three years. And the first incidents happened around 1966. So she's like, okay, I'm not alone. So now, as all the things that take off, the media begins reporting it, not just locally, but nationally, and the press and people start swarming in by the thousands of the area. And Megan, guess what else? What? Apparently, there were some type of official people, you know, your garden variety men in black that Ooh. were in the area as well. So do with, th- do with that what you will, because... 
quote-unquote strange out-of-town visitors who wanted to just quiet everything down, basically saying, let's keep it quiet for now. I mean, come on. I did not know that. That's my favorite thing. (sighs) Don't you just wish, don't you just hope that there is a section of of the government there's a branch of the government that is like the x-files, x-files. oh if only i mean that that's the dream. dream job but this leads to one of the one of the explanations of what the mothman was they said since the government was so interested on in like kind of shutting it down that the mothman was actually a government experiment that escaped mm. and i mean there's another explanation that makes me cackle and it's that people think it was a sandhill crane. What? I mean, yeah, they're big birds, and they do have like, like red area around their eyes, kind of like a fleshy red yeah. area. But in no way is a sandhill crane man-like in shape. Uh, no, I I, I mean, have sandhill cranes near my house, and they are huge, and I could see how it might like surprise scary. somebody. Yeah. But never so afraid that I fall on my baby. Yeah. And I mean, they're tall, but there's no like leg muscles and they don't have the speed to keep up with the cars like that. No. Yeah. Like this one seems more engaged too. Like, yeah. And like it's not, and like, like the one I think Linda said, it didn't seem like it was trying to attack. It was like following along and trying to figure things out, but it was engaging with it. I don't think a bird would keep up with that interest for that long. No. A few other people have mentioned that this could believe the Mothman could be a Thunderbird. And a Thunderbird is a creature of various Native American and indigenous cultures. It's depicted as a large bird that can cause winds. And thunder with its wings, as well as shoot lightning out through its eyes. Interesting. That's something I want to, like, delve in a little deeper one time, maybe. Because I've heard about that up here in my area of Massachusetts. There's lore of that, too, in a certain area of Massachusetts called the Bridgewater Triangle. Mm, yeah. I used to have this book when I was a kid. I don't know if I got it at the library. Mm-hmm. I doubt I got it at the library. I got it from somewhere. And I was obsessed with it because it had, like, all of these different weird tales of different kinds of creatures that you weren't sure if they were, like, real or not and different stories behind them. And one of them reminds me of, now that you're talking about the Thunderbird and the Mothman, I remember there being a giant – a story of a giant bird and it, like, picking up a kid one time and the mother like had to try to like take the the kid out of these <laughs> the birds talons or whatever i don't imagine? know about that they actually like thunderbirds but it does sound very like on the same wavelength of the size but i'd be like i don't know what to tell you like let, let the kid go please like i'm not that fast so. <laughs> and another final ex- explanation is that the creature is a harbinger of evil and this is kind of what the basis of the Mothman prophecies is about. Because while it took place for those 13 months, it seems pretty much stop off completely after the tragedy on December 15th, 1967. So just over a little over a year after the first Mothman sighting, traffic was, it was holiday shopping. Traffic was bad on the Silver Bridge. It was a suspension bridge built over the Ohio River in 1928 
connecting Point Pleasant over the river. And an article I read kind of details of the differences of like when the bridge was built versus when the accident happened and how the amount of traffic might have put a strain on the bridge because when the bridge had been built, it was built in 1928, cars were lighter. Mm. The Model T, which is weighed in, in at just about 1,500 pounds, which the average car in 1967 weighed nearly double that at 4,000 ah. pounds. So that evening, it's Friday night, Christmas traffic, like Christmas shopping, it's like a really busy thing. So without warning, a single eye bar which an eye bar is a straight bar, usually of, of metal with a hole or an eye at each end for fixing other compo- components together. They're kind of used on bridges for like tension bridges. Mm-hmm. And so one of the eye bars near the top of the bridge on the Ohio side cracked, which allowed the crack in the eye, so the hole kind of cracks, which allowed a chain to loosen and snap. And so the way the bridge was designed, it was that it was a tension bridge. So it was very carefully balanced. So that one snap of that chain disturbed all that like equilibrium. Mm -hmm. So the entire bridge collapsed into the freezing water below so 30 there was 37 cars on the bridge and 31 of them fell into the water so 46 people died that night and nine were injured so wow in 1975 john keel released the famed book the mothman prophecies which in january 25th of 2002 became a movie in fact, Keel even hints strongly that the disaster may have been a, as a result of this, and that something the Mothman was seen by at least one person on the bridge. And he said, Something unnatural was stalking the hills of West Virginia. A dark force was closing over the town. And side note, just for anyone who is interested in this, unlike the movie where Richard Gere portrays him, Keel was not a reporter of a major newspaper, but a well-known investigator of UFOs and paranormal events, like a UFOologist. So a lot of people said maybe it was flying around there to kind of warn people about that. But everyone's like, or just faulty construction that hit the town at a terrible time. Mm-hmm. And while the main collection of these sightings happened in the 60s, I was able to find one newer one in the more recent years. And once again, I'm turning into her mother because this one, the more recent years, is 1990, the year of my <laughs> But, I mean, that is way closer to the 60s. Yeah. So this is Darren Hayes. He was leaving a carnival, and he was driving down Route 62 towards Point Pleasant. He said, oh, maybe, I'll go, maybe we'll go by the TNT area because he hadn't been back there since he was like a small kid. He said eight or nine. So he said while he was there – He turned off the car for about 10 minutes and he started to get an eerie feeling, almost as evil he said was around him. And he looked around for another car or something because he felt like he was being watched. And even his passenger was like, you're freaking me out. I can can tell your vibes are off. Like, you're so afraid, it's making me afraid. Yeah. 
So he decides, no, this is not worth it to come here. We're just going to leave. And here's what he kind of says, his firsthand recounting of it. He says, as he's leaving, I saw this big bird-like thing fly over the top of my car. It was every bit of six feet tall with a huge wingspan. I know that it was wider than my car because when it went over, it was like gliding. So you could see the wings were very much wider. The wings didn't move per se, but it was like gliding when it went over the car. So it didn't like flap like a bird, you know? Yeah. I saw that and I had no idea what the thing was, but I knew what it was that I felt. Like I knew that that was a thing that I was afraid of. So I stomped on the gas and out the road we went. This thing continued several times to go out over the car and then go straight up in the air. I'm guessing that when it went over the top of my car each time, it couldn't have been more than three to feet, three to five feet higher than the car. It was so close, it looked like you could reach out and touch it. But unlike the previous reports, it never actually hit the car. And he says, I remember glancing down and seeing how fast he was going. He said he was going close to 120 miles per hour. Man. And this thing continued to come back right over us at the exact same height. And he's yelling to this passenger, do you see it? Did you see it? (laughs) And he said he didn't see any red eyes, but that it was very dark and it would go, he said it would pass us like we were sitting still. Oh and my fly god! Guy, and then come back down, come back directly above the car. It flew over the car at least five to six times during the run towards Route 62. I had to be going close to 120 miles per hour at one point, so we cannot imagine how fast this thing was going to do what it was doing. And he's like, at that point, the his passenger was cowering in the seat, but they had because they hadn't seen the thing. Because they were cowering. And he says that stayed over the car all the way out to Route 62, where it took a left turn and returned back towards Point Pleasant. I continued to look for it while we were on the main road all the way past the armory, but I never saw it following us again. God, that would be so scary. Yeah. And, like, nowadays there's, like, a statue in West Virginia – there's a museum and there's actually a Mothman festival that seems to take place in September. I think it's been happening since 2002. And I think the museum opened in 2005 in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And also I was doing this math and I think about the time this episode will drop, it will be close to November. So it'll be happy Mothman time to you all. Mm. But yeah, so that is the Mothman, Megan. So what do you think it is? Obviously a sandhill crane, right? Oh, or or so barn nice. owl. <laughs> that is one hell of a big barn owl. Mm-hmm. No, I have no idea what it could be. I mean, no clue. No clue. Didn't they create love bugs? Weren't love bugs created by love humans? Bugs were in Florida, I think. But by by humans. 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 Yeah. So, like, it doesn't – it wouldn't shock me to hear that, like, there was some sort of creature made. Yeah. But I'm just curious to know if it's one creature 
if it's two creatures, I'm thinking maybe it is just one and they weren't like, since it's just one, it wasn't able to like reproduce. But then again, you said it was like from the sixties to the nineties, right? Yeah. Also, okay. It's an urban legend about the love bugs. Oh, really? It says real university of Florida <laughs> ethics experiment gone wrong. But I mean, they're they, so annoying. They're so, and they're everywhere. But like I said, it was a polluted area. Yeah. And we've seen so many things that aren't, that could be scientifically made. And then you have that coupled with chemicals and pollution that like in the 40s and 60s that they don't know. Oh, come on. We are able to grow like ears on mice. Yeah. And then like you put chemicals like, oh, yeah, smoking's good for you. It's totally healthy. And you're like, no, it's not later on, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I really, this is one that I just don't know what it is. Like, I wish that I could see a picture of, like, even if it was just, like, a blob, like, you know, like the Yeti or not the Yeti. What's what's it called? Oh, Bigfoot? Like, like, like the blurry pixelated picture of Bigfoot? Yeah. Yeah. Even if it was just, like, a pixelated picture so I could just get a an idea of what it looks like because like you said they couldn't use the word batman so they used mothman but was it more like a bat you know oh yeah true i feel i feel they attributed the the moth aspect with like the brown body or whatever or the gray body and the eyes maybe Mm -hmm. because also there's a couple other things i literally was like 11 11 pages in with my research (laughs) <laughs> but I was literally like before the moment was up to record. I was like, should I add more? Because there's people who is like the harbinger of evil thing that have said similar creatures have like appeared, like winged creatures have appeared at sites, big things like Chernobyl or 9/11 type things. A lot of them have been like debunked, I think. But okay. not that I'm gonna. I I don't know enough to be like, oh yeah, these things were so- were were seen here. But when I was looking at the aspect of the bridge, I had seen a couple other things of it being lumped in with winged creatures seen around that. Yeah. Which I think is something to look into. Yeah. There are enough people that have seen it in that town that weren't like BFFs and it freaked the hell out of them that I feel like they did see something. They saw something. Yeah. They saw something that wasn't something that you see every single day. (laughs) So... What it was, I don't know, but I believe that it is out there. Absolutely. I, I concur. Yeah. I, and I, it's funny because I had researched it and I thought I was done. And I was looking into more things. And that's when I found out that it had visited like the couple's house again. And they had the word beeps and the fast. I'm like, oh, there's the fast talking. <gasps> that is so have. scary. Yeah. Um, fast talking sounds scary. And so does like, did you see the movie? No, I'm gonna watch it though. I think I'm gonna make Abby watch it with you this weekend. Next, okay. Week. I'm not gonna say anything then. Okay. Yeah, but they I will say movie, one little thing. In the movie, they have the bridge collapse because they say like the, they say that like a phone call happens and they yes Denver nine 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 and they're like okay it's a flight and nine people are killed and apparently in the movie I think they say like only like twenty one people died. When it was actually like 41, 43, but they said oh. we, had, we had to put it a lower number because it didn't want to kill too many people in the movie. 
Oh. And Richard Gere's character, who is, like, based off of the author of the book, he wasn't there when the bridge collapsed. But a lot of things, like, he points to certain prophetic aspects of it and the phone call things. Yeah, it was definitely a movie that was, like, eerie as heck. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed your story, Dane. Thank you so much. And if you guys are still here listening, thank you for sticking around. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> appreciate it. Yeah, as we work out all these kinks and pitfalls of podcasting, but more importantly, we want to thank you for your support and kind words as we have sibling chats with the world talking about all things that go bump in the night so make sure you rate and review please and send any suggestions our way you can find us on twitter and instagram at scary sisters pod and email us at scary sisters pod at gmail.com and if you have a scary story that you might want us to share in the future do send that in. Or if you have any ideas of scary stories you want to hear about, suggestions, do send them in. Yeah, absolutely. So, I feel like it'd be really fun later on to maybe do an episode where we share listener creepy, scary stories. I'd love to hear your creepy I, stories. I, I would not, but I would. <laughs> <laughs> so until then, Dana. Stay safe and stay spooky. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, oh, oh.